Welcome back to the Through the Psalms podcast. We took a week off last week. It's been a, a busy couple of weeks, but we're going to pick up again this week uh, with Psalm 21. And this is a royal psalm. It's a psalm of David. If you read the superscription, it says, To the Chief Musician, a psalm of David. And if you remember from last podcast, this is connected uh, to Psalm 20. So it's Psalm 20 and 21 go together. Uh, if you look in Psalm 21 in verse uh, 2, it talks about how God has given the king uh, his heart's desire and, and answered his prayers, given him his, the request of his lips. And that relates back to Psalm 20 and verse 4, where it says, Grant thee according to thine own heart or thy heart's desire and fulfill all thy counsel. So there's definitely a connection between uh, the two Psalms. Um, Warren Warsby, the Bible commentator, says that Psalm 20 is a prayer before the battle, and then Psalm 21 is praise to God after the victory, after the battle. So Psalm 21 is praising God for the victory that he's given to the king. A brief outline of the psalm, uh, Psalm 21 Uh, Verses 1 through 7, you have thanksgiving for the Lord's deliverance and the victory that he's given to the king. Verses 8 through 12, it talks about the victory over uh, the enemies. So assurance of the king's victories over his enemies. And then verse 13 is a closing prayer of praise to God. Now, Psalm 21 is written in the third person. And so it's not clear whether it's the people speaking about the king or whether the king himself is just referring to himself in the third person. If you remember back to Psalm 20, uh, it was the people of Israel speaking to the Lord about the king and asking for victory for the king as he went into battle. All right, well, with that background, let's go ahead and read Psalm 21 and then we'll discuss it. The king shall joy in thy strength, O Lord, and in thy salvation, how greatly shall he rejoice. Thou hast given him his heart's desire and hast not withholden the request of his lips, Selah. For thou preventest him with the blessings of goodness. Thou settest a crown of pure gold on his head. He asked life of thee, and thou gavest it him, even length of days forever and ever. His glory is great, In thy salvation, honor and majesty hast thou laid upon him. For thou hast made him most blessed forever. Thou hast made him exceeding glad with thy countenance. For the king trusteth in the Lord, and through the mercy of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Thine hand shall find out all thine enemies. Thy right hand shall find out those that hate thee. Thou shalt make them as a fiery oven, In the time of thine anger, the Lord shall swallow them up in his wrath, and the fire shall devour them. Their fruit shall thou destroy from the earth, and their seed from among the children of men. For they intended evil against thee, they imagined a mischievous device, which they are not able to perform. Therefore shalt thou make them turn their back, when thou shalt make ready thine arrows upon thy strings against the face of them. Be thou exalted, Lord, in thine own strength, so will we sing praise. I'm sorry, so will we sing and praise thy power. Okay, 
Well, if you go back to verse 1, it talks about the joy of the king and how he is rejoicing in the salvation and the strength of the Lord. And, you know, the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so we find joy in the Lord and we find joy in his salvation. Uh, the New Testament says rejoice in the Lord. So we should rejoice and have joy in the Lord and in his salvation. And David had just won a victory here. And the Lord had answered his prayers. And so uh, it was right and fitting for him to be rejoicing here. We should be thankful and joyful when the Lord answers our prayers and gives us victory. And that's what David did. He was rejoicing in the Lord. Verse 2 talks about his heart's desire. We mentioned in Psalm 20 how he had asked that God would grant him his heart's desire. And God did. He gave David the victory over his enemies. He has exalted him as king. And he has blessed him as he is king over God's people. And he has not withholding the request of his lips. God answered David's prayers and the people's prayers. And we ought to remember that God is a God who answers our prayers. Prayer makes a difference and we should seek God in prayer every day. And he doesn't always answer when we want or how we want. You know, sometimes the answer is yes, sometimes it's wait, sometimes it's no. Uh, but God does answer our prayers, and that should be motivation to us to continue in prayer. Now, verse 3, uh, there's kind of a tricky word there in the King James, preventest, and it's a little bit misleading uh, because it makes it have a negative connotation. But actually, uh, a better translation might be, uh, meets or welcomes. So you could say, for thou welcomes him with the blessing of goodness, or thou meets him with the blessings of goodness, or even thou goes before him with the blessings of goodness. So the idea here is that God is meeting the king with blessings of goodness. He is welcoming him with blessings of goodness. Uh, and I love that phrase, blessings of goodness because it's just so rich. And God does do that for us. He blesses us with goodness, and he meets us and welcomes us with his blessings, and that should cause us to have joy and to rejoice in him. Uh, it goes on to say that he, thou settest a crown of pure gold on his head. So God anointed, you know, he had Samuel anoint David as king. God made David king, and he uh, blessed him with that position and he set the crown of pure gold on his head. He gave him that privileged position to be king over Israel. And so the Lord has richly blessed uh, David. But we don't have to be a king like David to be blessed by the Lord. God blesses us every day with goodness and we should be thankful for that. I think about America, how God has blessed America. If you look throughout our history, he has blessed us with the blessings of goodness. He has richly blessed our country. And the sad thing is oftentimes we take that for granted and we're ungrateful. But we should be very grateful for how God has blessed us as a nation and how he has blessed us individually as well. 
All right, moving along to verse 4. The king asked him for life. He sa it says, he asked life of thee, and thou gavest it him, even length of days forever and ever. We ought to remember that God is the source of all life. He gives us every heartbeat, every breath that we have. And so without God, there is no life. We need him. He sustains life. He gives life. Only he has the power over life. And the king asked God for life, and he granted it to him. Uh, this verse is a little bit reminiscent of Psalm 91. At the end of Psalm 91, it says, With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. And so God granted David length of days. He gave him life and blessed him. Now, this psalm can have uh, messianic implications. Some commentators believe that this psalm is not just speaking about David, but also speaking about the Messiah, about Jesus. And as we get into verses 5 and 6, I think uh, that becomes clearer uh, because uh, the glory that it talks about here uh, could really only be applied ultimately to Jesus as he sits on the throne of David. Uh, you notice in verse 5 it says, His glory is great in thy salvation. Honor and majesty hast thou laid upon him, for thou hast made him most blessed forever. Thou hast made him exceeding glad with thy countenance. So David did, I'm sorry, God did give David, you know, majesty and honor. And David was obviously king. Uh, but the ultimate fulfillment of this would be when Jesus returns and sits on the throne of David. He will rule in, in glory and majesty and honor. And he will be uh, most blessed. And so uh, this psalm, I believe, does apply to David. But the ultimate fulfillment is when Jesus sits on the throne of David as uh, king uh, and messiah and Savior. So this psalm has messianic implications. Verse 7, it talks about how the king trusts in the Lord. We've seen that theme throughout the book of Psalms, how there's an emphasis to put your trust in the Lord and in his mercy. It talks about through the mercy of the Most High, he shall not be moved. He shall not be uh, shaken. And so where does David's trust come from? It, he puts his trust in the Lord. He, he gets his confidence from God. And that's why he's not shaken. That's why he's not moved. Um, and again, that's a great pattern for us to follow, putting our trust in the Lord and his mercy. Now, verse 8, it kind of switches gears, and it switches gears from uh, giving thanks and praise to God for what he's done to talking about how the king shall have victory over his enemies. And again, this could be applied to David where, you know, we know David had enemies and God uh, defeated those enemies. But it could also apply to Jesus because uh, when Jesus reigns, he will defeat his enemies and those who opposed him. And so you could apply this either way. Uh, but it says that thine hand shall find out all thine enemies Thy right hand shall find out those that hate thee. The enemies of the Lord will not be able to hide forever. They, won't, they may get away with their evil deeds for a while, but they won't be able to get away with it for long because the Lord will find them out and punish them. Uh, 
Uh, verse 9 talks about fire. It talks about a fiery oven. Uh, in the time of thine anger, it talks about how the Lord shall swallow, swallow them up in his wrath, and the fire shall devour them. And this is obviously a verse of judgment. Uh, you know, it's not very popular today to talk about the wrath of the Lord, but the Bible clearly talks about it. Uh, Peter in the New Testament talks about how when, you know, at the end of the world, when the Lord returns, that there's going to be judgment and the earth will be consumed with fire. Uh, obviously, hell is mentioned in the New Testament and talked about how the the lost, the unbelievers, the wicked will be um, thrown into hell. And it talks about the fire of hell. Uh, so the Bible clearly speaks of judgment and hell and fire and all of these things, even though modern man uh, tends to discount that as a myth, the Bible clearly presents it as truth and as reality. So these things should cause us to fear the Lord um, and cause us to uh, make sure that we know him, that we are saved and forgiven. We, we are uh, not appointed unto wrath as believers in Christ. The Bible says that uh, we are not appointed unto wrath if we know Jesus. So because of what Jesus has done, we can escape the wrath of God. But those that don't put their faith in Jesus, that don't know the Lord, the wicked, they will be, uh, they will suffer the wrath of the Lord. And so it's a very humbling thing, a very sobering thing. It ought to cause us to examine ourselves, but it also ought to cause us to uh, want to help others avoid that by sharing the gospel with them. All right, verse 10, it talks about how the Lord will destroy um, the fruit of the, the wicked and their seed. And so they, uh, they won't have an inheritance. They won't have anything to show uh, for what they've done because the Lord will destroy it. Um, so we see once again the judgment that's going to fall upon the wicked. Um, you know, in, in Proverbs, it talks about the inheritance of the righteous and the wicked. I think it's in Proverbs chapter 3, if I remember correctly. And it talks about how the wicked or the fool will inherit uh, shame. Uh, and uh, But it says that the righteous uh, will inherit uh, good things. And so the wicked, though they may prosper for a while, will not succeed ultimately. And so you have to look at the long term. You have to look at eternity uh, and think about uh, the big picture. And though the wicked prosper for a while, it won't last. Verse 11 we see the the evil intentions of the wicked. They intended evil against thee. They intended evil against the king. Uh, they imagined a mischievous device, which they are not able to perform. Uh, you know, the righteous, they just kind of go about their business and do what they're supposed to do, and they don't want to bother anybody. But the wicked intend evil against those that have done them no harm. And that's kind of the picture here, is they have these evil intentions, and they're trying to harm innocent people. Uh, but it says there that they are not able to perform it because the Lord protected the king and stopped them from being able to attack him. And verse 12, we see another picture of uh, the Lord shooting arrows at the wicked. We've seen that in the Psalms before where it talks about the Lord bending his bow 
and aiming at the wicked. And here we have that picture, that imagery again. So the wicked don't get away with anything in the end. Um, The Lord sees them and he will punish them. And that should cause us to fear the Lord, but it should also be an encouragement to us when we see wicked people prosper and get away with things. And we think there's no justice and there's, you know, the righteous are punished and the the wicked are rewarded and everything seems backwards. We should remember that in the end, the Lord keeps track of all this and he will punish the wicked. And then verse 13, the psalm closes with a prayer or a praise to God. uh, Be thou exalted, Lord. Uh, You know, we see things much clearly when we when the Lord is exalted and we have our eyes upon him. So we need to keep our eyes on the Lord, uh, seek, uh, seek to have him exalted in the world and in our lives. And then we, we understand things and see things more clearly. Uh, it's when we get our eyes off the Lord that we kind of uh, lose our focus and our vision. In thine own strength, uh, so will we sing and praise thy power. And so when we, we sing and we praise God, Uh, The Bible says he inhabits the praises of his people. So it's important that we praise God. And I think this psalm, if anything, should teach us that when God answers our prayers and when he gives us victory, we need to remember to thank him and to praise him. Uh, A lot of times we forget to do that. You know, we pray for something, God answers, he blesses us, and then we don't go back to praise him and give him thanks. And so if anything, this psalm should remind us to do that. And then also, just in conclusion, it's the Lord that gives us the victory. You know, if we go back to Psalm 20, the king was going to battle and the people were praying for him and asking the Lord to give victory to the king. And the Lord was faithful to do that. And why was David blessed as king? Why did he have everything that he had? Why was he able to have victory over his enemies? Uh, It was because the Lord did all that for him. The Lord gave him victory and blessed him. And we need to remember that the Lord is is the source of our victory. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, as the people are getting ready to go into the promised land, there's a warning in chapter 8 to not forget the Lord. You know, they say, it says there, when you go in the land and you enjoy this land and you're blessed by the Lord, and I'm paraphrasing here, uh, you know, Moses reminds the people, don't forget you know, where these blessings come from. Don't forget that it's the Lord that that gave you this land. It's the Lord that blessed you because you're going to be tempted to think that it's of your own strength and your own hand did all this. And so I find this psalm kind of in the similar vein of just a reminder to us that it's not us that gives us the victory. It's the Lord that gives the victory. Without him, we can do nothing. So that's a good reminder for us all. I hope you enjoyed this. I hope this psalm blessed you. And then, uh, Lord willing, next week we'll try to look at Psalm 22, which is a uh, messianic psalm. And it's also a beginning of the shepherd psalms. Psalm 22, 23, and 24 are called the shepherd psalms. And uh, Psalm 22 talks about, uh, it has prophecies of, of Christ and his death on the cross. So a very important psalm. So we'll look forward to that. Hope you have a blessed week, and we'll talk to you later. Thank you. Bye.